edition with me Charlotte Henry. I'm really very excited this week because in a tumultuous period of time for tech I have none other than the BBC's tech editor Zoe Kleinman with me. Zoe thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure hello. Well we've got a lot to be discussing haven't we but let's start with a bit in-house. You are the BBC's first tech editor not its first female tech editor but technically its first ever person to hold that role which is a pretty huge deal. Thank you very much. Yes, I, I am the BBC's first tech editor. Um, the BBC's had a had a technology news team for many years um, who have done a fantastic job. Um, and last year, uh, Rory Catherine Jones, who was the correspondent, was uh, retiring and they decided that actually the next person that they would appoint would have an editor role. And I have to say, um, you know, I was, I am for many reasons very chuffed to have got the job, but I was uh, in my 40s. I was pregnant with my third child when this was all uh, happening. And I, you know, did an interview very visibly and heavily pregnant. And mm -hmm. I think, um, and I had said, you know, I'm going to have some maternity leave. I'm going to have at least six months off work. So if I get this job, I won't be starting it straight away. And, and the BBC said, we'll wait for you. And actually, as a as a woman who's worked in and around tech and and indeed worked for you know twenty odd years, it was incredibly um, encouraging and empowering to have had to have that conversation at that time in my yeah. life. Yeah, I mean it's re that's really wonderful to hear, and it's it's really interesting that it's become an editorial because, as you say, it's not like the BBC hasn't taken tech news and indeed tech coverage more broadly very seriously for a very long time i mean you could say anything from legendary pro like tomorrow's world to all the work that rory who you mentioned and others did it it isn't you know the bbc has long been at the forefront in the uk of covering technology i think what's really interesting about tech as a beat is how much it's changed it's gone from being the kind of quirky and finally although you know let's be honest it still can be the quirky and finally everyone loves a robot going wrong or whatever um but it's become so much a part of the fabric of everyday life that in a way yeah. the boundaries are very blurred you know if you've got a story about some um algorithm that's diagnosing uh you know cancers at a very early stage for example is that is that a tech story because it's an algorithm or is it a health story because it's about cancer um and i and i think arguably it could go either way but you know potentially the more interesting part about that is is that it's diagnosing cancer it doesn't really matter so much you know I, I i could tell you about the algorithm but i'm going to lose your attention extremely quickly um it, you know it's kind of become part of the fabric of so many other beats and i, I think yeah. we saw that change um a, a few years ago I, I, you may well remember this story the, the wikileaks story mm -hmm. you know for me that was a pivotal moment because people came to us as the tech reporter team and said oh you know here's a story it's wikileaks it's, it's leaked emails and, and we were like well actually no you know this is a global politics story the story is what's in the emails the story is not that it is an email and to me that was the beginning of that shift you know towards tech yeah. becoming part of a lot of other things you you talking about that story reminds me 
a bit of um I think it, it's that page one, the film about the New York Times, where they're having around the New York Times about whether WikiLeaks is a media story, a foreign affairs story. I think I'm remembering the scene right that they sort of mm-hmm. can't quite work out who's gonna cover it. And there's a couple of stories in the film like that. And yeah, and again, co- you know, lots of COVID-19 things. I mean, there was a story the other day, I think the other day that I saw the BBC covering about some amazing quote unquote technology about uh creating blood from blood cells that could help people who have rare blood groups get transfusions is that a tech story is it a health story well it's kind of both so you can come at those things from both angles and both are fascinating and i think it's become very important how newsrooms you know worldwide are starting to see tech as you say not just as the fun and finally or the weird nerds that sit in the corner but absolutely fundamental to so many of the stories that get covered nowadays yeah, absolutely. And I and I think not only is it, you know, part of the, the, the story of, of of these sort of big, important breakthroughs, but it's part of everyday life. Yeah. You know, there are not many people, I would argue now, whose lives are not touched by a tech in some way. And I feel very strongly that even if you're not really that bothered about how your phone works or you don't mm. really care how somebody calculates your car insurance, you know, it is it is a public service to have that information out there and and to and to provide you know those tools so that you can at least make an active decision yeah, about it. Well, if you I, decide it's not for you and you don't want to know then that's fine but at least you're able to make that decision with a bit of information behind you you know and yeah, I think, you know, the tech companies work very hard to not really tell you. They don't really mm-hmm. want you to know how this stuff works. You know, how often do you get under the bonnet of an algorithm? And when you do, what the hell are you looking at? You know, they don't make it easy for you to to, to understand what you're seeing, even when they do show you. And they do that deliberately because that's the, that's how they make their money, right? This is their this is their secret source. They don't want you to understand it. But actually, yeah. it's important that 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 we do have an understanding of it. Yeah, I'm thinking of things like. Um, you know, the kind of content, um, I always tell myself off for using that word, but it is the correct word in this sense, uh, that teenagers see when they're browsing through Instagram and TikTok that can have very real world effects on them. But all that's governed by an algorithm that most of us don't understand and needs someone like you to explain. Uh, and your point about kind of how everyone's life is touched by tech is, is clearly correct. And so it makes me wonder, like, what do you... I mean, this is basically just give me some journalism tips now, frankly, to make me better. But what kind of key things do you look for when you're digging into a tech story? Because you're not writing for The Verge. You're not writing for a specialist site. You're writing for the BBC that gets millions and millions, billions of views across all its multiple platforms. How do you make a tech story, a BBC tech story, accessible for the masses? I'm very lucky to work for a, a media organisation that has, as you say, an enormous reach. Um, you know, the, the media landscape is changing hugely and the days when there were very, very few outlets to choose from are, are long gone for sure. And we we are up against enormous and 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 very good uh, rival organisations, but we are still an enormous platform. We have a very big audience and it's very, very mainstream. So as you say, you know, I'm not writing for The Verge. I read The Verge religiously and I like it, but, you know, the stuff that I do really has to appeal to everybody. It's got to appeal to people who know quite a lot about tech and people who know absolutely nothing about yeah. tech. And I always try and think, you know, if you know nothing, what is the one thing that I'd like you to take away from this story? You know, if you don't know what Twitter is, what is the one thing 
that really you should know about Twitter that might help you out at a party when everyone's chatting about it. And, you know, like that, I, I compare it to I, I don't know an awful lot about sport. Right. But I, I try and know enough to hold my own for a couple of minutes at a couple, you know, <laughs> in the pub if I have to. And and I and I feel like I'm trying to provide that service as well. I just want people to understand a little bit about these enormous networks and platforms and devices and services that are that are engineering our lives in some yeah. way. Yeah. It is it's a huge task but so kind of I'm really interested kind of I know you shouldn't really ever explain how see how the sausage is made, but like, how does that process begin? So there's a massive tech story, or you read, or get a tip or whatever of a very in-depth tech type story. How you know you said there's you want to make sure there's kind of one takeaway. How does that process happen? That you know there must be a lot of filtering you have to do to go from this is a really interesting tech story that you personally are interested in, of which there will be many each day to this is a story that the BBC audience should know lots about. H- how does that process kind of work? Not, I'm not talking particularly about the editorial machine, but in your kind of thinking, how do you get from A to B? So I think um, it's it's worth saying that, you know, I, I, I get pitched and I obviously hear sure. about an awful lot of stories and most of them don't make. I don't do many stories. The BBC doesn't do many stories. We don't have, we don't have the... We're not really set up to do that, you know. Um, so, so of the stories that we are pitched, I mean, I, do you know what? I get asked this a lot. This kind of what makes a good story question, and and I feel like we've kind of we've lost touch with what makes a good story you know what makes a good story is something that's interesting to people that you might tell your friends about that you would talk about in the pub that you might make a tiktok about that you know that sticks with you now what is that let's take tech out of it what what is that what what are the stories that there's stories about people there's stories about human interest there's stories about things that have made people's lives better or made people's lives worse they're funny stories about things that don't work the way they should there are stories about uh you know the rise and fall and rise again of big companies people are interested in big business um you know i i think i think actually i was talking to a room of prs uh, recently with whom i have a slight love-hate relationship like many <laughs> Jeffers, I think. um and and somebody did ask me that question and i was like look do you go home to your partner or your housemates and go hey let me tell you about the latest seed round of funding and they're like, ah, yeah. no. And I'm like, exactly. So what do you Why expect you me to do with it? Because I, I'm talking to your housemates and your family. Why do I need to tell them if you don't want to tell them yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've written and worked for like business to business publications and awfully we'd go, often we'd go, nah, that's not for us. Like, it's a really interesting, I mean, we could do a whole extra show on the relationship between journalists and PR people and the sort of, we could, maybe I should start a blog of just the awful PR pitches that everyone gets and compile them together. But yeah, that's shame because there are some brilliant PRs out there and, and there are many in fairness and some of them are my friends and I, you know, some of them are people who, when they ring me, I... You're what, Zoe? How dare you? But, you know, but I think they get drowned out. I think what people, what, what the, the PR, in a way, what the PR industry is doing is not dissimilar to what I'm doing right I'm an editor inside the BBC and so if I get a story that I think will work for audiences I have to kind of go and sell it internally I have to go to the Today program I have to go to Five Live and go I've got this story and here's why I think you should run it here's why I think your audience should hear it so I'm kind of not doing a dissimilar job 
And it just really frustrates me when, you know, there's so much noise that yeah. is just time waste um, and it, it makes it harder. And sometimes I'm human, you know, I miss the good stuff because I'm so busy wading through the treacle of the bad stuff. And, and I don't think, I think unless you're on the other side of the fence, you don't see the you don't see the accumulation. You know, I once took a snapshot of my inbox after. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, I, I, I mean, I had to be really careful how I presented it, but and I did it carefully, obviously. But I, I tweeted a picture of my inbox after a story broke. Right, I can't remember what the story was, and it was a story that we had published on the BBC website, and I had. 30, 40 emails straight away flooding in, and it's like my client commenting on blah. Do you want to hear from my client? Blah has happened. Talk to X, Y, Z, right? 40 of them. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, I just want you to see. It's not, this is not me being rude when I don't reply. I want you to see the volume and the deluge that happens. And then these emails are often quoting my own article back at me going, mm. oh, as the BBC's reporter. I'm like, I know the BBC's reporting it. Because I wrote it. it. <laughs> yeah. and, and I get that it's just a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a rush to get that client's visibility, isn't it? I understand. I understand they've got a job to do. But, it, you know, it is, it is a deluge, isn't it? Yeah, well, talking of noise... We have to talk about Elon Musk because you spent a lot of... Eh, I'm sorry, you do have to talk about it again because I know you spent, in the run-up to recording this uh, episode, you spent a lot of time covering Elon Musk, the Twitter takeover, the fallout after that. You know, by the time this show goes out, 800 other things might have happened. Uh, and, you know, he might have sold it by the time this show goes out for all we know. But let's just sort of look at what's been going on because... I think it's a really good example of a story that you maybe would have thought, oh, this is a tech story, but actually has become really, really mainstream. You know, pe lot, people who are not normally techie people are kind of really talking about it in large part because they're hearing about it from very big mainstream organisations. It's become a bit of a self-fulfilling thing, hasn't it? Because loads of journalists on Twitter, so they're talking about Twitter and then loads of journalists write stories about Twitter. But it, it's really broken through in quite an interesting way, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I feel like Elon Musk is my sort of work husband because um, <laughs> when I got this job and I, I got it, I think, and then had the baby about two days later. So I, I had the job, but I hadn't started it. And, and you know, one of the things I was told is that at this level, you, you really want to be getting yourself onto the 10 o'clock news. The BBC 10 o'clock TV news bulletin is still, you know, yeah. very big news, very big bulletin uh, here, certainly in the UK. And um I sat there, you know, holding this baby, thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to get on the 10 o'clock news? The bar is really high. You know, this is a, a huge bulletin. It's only half an hour long. Everybody that works in news wants to be on the 10 o'clock news. How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? And then, and then you then came back to absolute political chaos as well, which always takes precedent over everything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, politics has been interesting, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I came back to work and the very first day that I was back at work, uh, Elon Musk announced that he wanted to buy Twitter. And within 24 hours of being in the job, I was on the 10 o'clock news. And I thought, <laughs> oh, OK, so it's, apparently it's not that hard. I, th I think that there is enormous interest in 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 the man himself, you know, the, mm. the cult of this fascinating figure who is a, who is a multi-billionaire, sort of, although he doesn't actually have assets, does he? He doesn't have cash, does he? He's, he's he has assets, assets yeah. Um, you know, he's got this very colourful family life. He's got this very colourful 
communication style. Um, he's launched these incredibly successful companies from PayPal and Tesla to SpaceX and Starlink. You know, that there's a there's a lot to unpick. There's a lot of fascination around him on his own. And then throw in Twitter, which um it's a funny one, Twitter, isn't it? It's like I it's it's not that big and it's never really grown. It's not had, you know, that enormous growth that Facebook went through, even like TikTok is going through, you know, it's 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 not massive. But what it is, is very influential. And it is where you go to see what, you know, President Biden and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and, you know, Taylor Swift, what they were all of you yeah. saying. And it's kind of your direct line to them. You can tweet, you can actually tweet these people. And they might tweet you back, you know, and and I think that's I, I think that's an irresistible thing for lots of people because well, Elon you, Musk is tweeting people back, isn't he? He's Elon thoroughly enjoying exactly. Elon Musk is is happily engaging with everybody who agree with him, and um, you know, <laughs> it, it's 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 a really quite a unique platform, uh, and uh, in a way, he's not wrong. That platform has not made any money for years. It's burnt through investor money. It's not made any money and it's not grown. So whether it was going to be him or anybody else, somebody was going to have to do something at some point with that firm, you know? Yep. And he's not wrong there. And in a way, whatever he does is, is going to be unpopular because people like it as it is, but as it is, is not profitable. And nobody wants a company, whoever you are, nobody wants a company that's, not profitable, right? No, so, I mean, there's a reason why Jack Dorsey and co all got out of it, right? Well, and he's now said, you know, oh, sorry, I should never have made Twitter public. Well, you know, bit late for right that. The time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, it, it, is, it is a really interesting story. You've got that mixture, that heady mixture of what this communication tool is and who this man is. And of course, him being him, you know, he's not hanging about, is he? He's come in no. and, and just lobbed grenades left, right, and centre. It's very interesting. It's got it's got all of that appeal as a good story, even if you don't use Twitter. Yeah, I think the thing is, even if you don't use Twitter, you see stuff that comes off Twitter, whether it's uh, news reporters reporting something that someone has said there, whether it's kind of someone sending you a meme that has originated on Twitter. People who even aren't using it as, let's be honest, as addictedly as you and I are. Uh, <laughs> I um, don't know what you mean. No, 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 we'll talk about it quietly. But um, even people were not out using TweetDeck with loads of different columns and just obsessively refreshing it on their phone um, are still exposed to Twitter. And I guess that combined with a fascinating, you know, Elon Musk isn't Bill Gates, is he? Who, you know, a pretty straight up businessman. He's this hugely fascinating character. I mean, the BBC did a, a four-part documentary. Is it four parts? Mm, I need to sit down and watch Yeah, I need to sit down and watch it. The Elon Musk show, you know. He is a fascinating character as well, and I guess that goes back to what you were saying about what actually makes a good story. Uh, and also what's kind of feeding into this Twitter feeding frenzy, uh, and no doubt, well, it is something you've been digging into already, is this kind of tumultuous nature of the world of tech we sort of for a long time saw silicon valley is almost and you know tech more generally they don't have firms that have to be based in silicon valley but almost as impenetrable as unbreakable you know governments couldn't really take on these companies uh people were just completely beholden to them and now suddenly things are getting a bit difficult you know 
and reading stories about Salesforce, the sort of, you know, deemed one of the great tech companies of the world, maybe having to lay off 2,500 workers very quickly. You know, Protocol was writing about that the other day. Uh, We've heard, you know, there's been all sorts of stories about Meta. There's been, you know, we already know about the the Twitter fa- uh, Twitter firing. They sort of, and then ha- they're having to beg people to come back because they realise they sort of lost a whole load of expertise. Silicon Valley and tech is is not the kind of fortress it once was, is it? And I guess that's another thing that interesting thing that we're going to have to keep an eye on. I keep meaning to write a piece along the lines of it's time up for big tech and it's a slight better headline because I think the answer is no. No. Um, but I do think that it's it's a very interesting time. Big tech has been hit by this kind of triple whammy really of a post pandemic, you know, when we had nothing else to do, everyone yeah. was hoovering up devices and trying desperately to find, you know, new ways to entertain themselves. And it was an incredible boom for those firms, which was always going to to come to an end yeah. um, or to slow down. We've also got, you know, the, uh, the, the, the background of the global economy crisis with costs of living storing people having less money to spend i think i think you know what what you need constraints on supply chains we you know exactly yeah we've seen stories issue as well you're right and and you know i think i think um what's really interesting about firms like google and and meta certainly is how they're funded you know they are they have for years had this incredible cash cow in the form Mm. of digital advertising and you know you may well think that the money is pouring in from the huge brands. You know, it's the Adidas campaign. It's the it's the Louis Vuitton campaign that's making them the money. Well, actually, it isn't. It's it's thousands, millions, maybe, of of small and medium sized companies taking out small small spends, but very regular spends. You know, if you've got a million companies giving you a pound a day to to have an ad on Google search engine, you've got a million pounds a day rolling in, right? And that has that that is is what has sustained them for so long. But of course, these small and medium companies are the first to feel the pinch, aren't yeah. they? Because, you know, either they have supply chain problems or they have consumer problems with customers just saying, I can't afford this anymore, sorry. Or both. Yep. And what's the first thing they're going to look to trim the marketing budget? And certainly it's always on mass, this is having a huge problem. This is having a huge knock. Uh, sorry, this is having a huge knock-on effect on on these giants. It's not going to sink them, I don't think. You know, let's not feel too sorry for them. Their revenue's down, but it's still in the billions. Um, but it is going to change things because they've got very high outgoings as a result of being used to having this level of wealth, and and that is changing. And I think you know. Um, it's signs are that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, aren't they? We're looking at 2023 being quite a quite a dark year um, at the moment. Obviously, I'm really hoping that this crystal ball is inaccurate, but mm-hmm. assuming things are going to be quite grim for quite a while, you know, we're, they're not going to come out of the woods anytime soon either. Yeah, and we might see we might see stuff folding in. We might see we might see change that 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 we wouldn't expect from previously very stable entities. Yeah, I mean, I reckon Mark Benioff and Mark Zuckerberg probably will be okay. But yes, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not worried about them paying their heating bill quite. No, yet. I think that, that I think they'll be all right. But um, yes, maybe some of their staff will be. You know, it will be quite a hard time for them. But you sort of preempted my next question, really, which was, what kind of things should those of us that cover tech be looking ahead at in 2023? Do you think this kind of tumultuous time is going to continue? I do. I think there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. 
but I also think there's going to be a lot of smaller innovation. Mm. I think, you know, these people that are being laid off, and it's terrible, awful to be laid off so abruptly. I mean, they're getting, I think Twitter is getting three months severance pay. I think Meta is is, is going to be offering, a, a, we don't we don't know at this stage, you may well know by the time you're listening to this, but you know, I've, I've, I'm fairly confident that there would be some sort of severance pay as well. Sure. So it's not like they're losing their jobs overnight, but it's, this, it's awful. The human cost is awful. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been seeing former Twitter employees like sharing pictures of the laptop they were suddenly locked out of and things exactly, like that. Exactly. I mean, imagine just waking up and not being able to get into your work your work laptop or your email or you know your slack or anything and just sort of not really know what's going on and then finding out via your personal email that your job's at risk i mean it, there's no easy way to do it right there is no good way of doing these things anyway um i think you know these people are not going to sit around idle especially in silicon valley there is a real uh there's real competition for talent and mm. and in a way the reason these companies have grown so much is because they've kind of hoovered up talent and retained but these people are, you know, these are the people that make the stuff that we all use, right? And they're not going to sit around on their hands and do nothing. They're either going to get picked up by those who are struggling less. You know, Apple is 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 keeping its head above the water quite nicely uh, during this time. Always. Uh, yeah, well, not well, always. I mean, always you know, since Steve Jobs, yes, you're quite right. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's it was a rather notes. There was a rather head under the water period of time for <laughs> Apple. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a pretty steady ship at the moment, um, you know, and they're not going to sit They're They're going to be looking at, at whose LinkedIn profiles are changing and who is now looking for yeah. work. So I think I think we're going to see a lot more fluidity. And I think we might see people deciding with their three months severance pay and redundancy and everything else, because let's not forget, you know, these workers are pretty well paid and um, they, they're going to do something else. They're going to they're going to do their own thing. Yeah, as you say, you talk about Apple being the company that's sort of keeping its head above the water. I, I'm rather led to reflect on the different personality types of the people leading these companies. So the chaos at Twitter and, you know, the kind of insular nature of what's going on at Meta versus the cool, calm, collected Tim Cook is a rather interesting part of this story, I think. Uh, and, and another thing that, I mean, this is the whole premise of this show, so it's obvious that I'm interested in it, is the way that, me tech companies are becoming media companies and media companies are becoming tech companies and for me that there might be some consolidation with the smaller services which i've talked about on this show before you know the peacocks and you know particularly in the us those kind of smaller services folding into other stuff and we already see some providers here kind of offering them for free as parts of a package but on a more macro level the way that tech and media are just blending together you know is netflix a tech company is it a media company well the truth is it's both isn't it now um it, it's just another fascinating element to all this and one that it, we know is going to continue in 2023 uh, and in some ways it's to uh, you know i was reading a brilliant richard rushfield piece, or heard him on a uh, richard rushfield piece on the ankler talking about actually has you know tech taking over media rather um ruin the glamour of Hollywood because now they all think they can make an algorithm for a hit and actually the kind but, of but they can. my favorite story about Netflix from years ago was how they commissioned House of Cards and you know they looked at their they really drilled down into their user data because what they've got that's that's unrivaled is all of this data about exactly what it is that people are watching and for how long and 
how often and you know they 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 have they have a gold mine of big data i think they've started to open it up a bit more now haven't they they've agreed to to be a bit more open about their viewing figures but they never were and that was the reason and so the story is that they looked at the three most popular common things among everything people were watching and they discovered that it was the director david finch the uh actor kevin spacey this was obviously pre um controversy and uh bbc political dramas <laughs> house of cards started out as a bbc political drama uh, yes it, the original one were, is uh quite spectacular starring kevin spacey directed by david fincher and guess what it was this huge hit and everyone went whoa wow that's really left field isn't it but no it wasn't it wasn't left field at all you know it was a very very shrewd decision and uh, i subject, love that story yeah it's good isn't it but on the subject of how of media and tech i think you know in a way the bigger these companies get the harder it becomes for them to operate in this weird sphere like you know we had facebook for years didn't we trying to argue that it was not a publisher that it was a platform well i mean they all still do you know it's a platform it's not a publisher and so whatever you put on it you know as a user they're not responsible for because it's your problem yeah it's they didn't write it right and now that just doesn't fly anymore it's never flown here it, the bbc you know if i write an article the BBC is responsible for it, right? And if there's comments underneath that article, the BBC is also responsible for them because we are by default the publisher of them. Now, admittedly, you know, the, the two billion users updating stuff in real time that Facebook has is not is not a problem that I tend to have on the bottom of my articles. No. <laughs> and, and I'm quite relieved about that because I don't have an answer and, and I don't think anybody is managing it very successfully. No. But, you know, the fact is that actually you can't not have responsibility because people don't people don't think like that you know you see something on facebook that's offensive and you don't even know the person who's written it but what you remember is i saw that on facebook yeah and i think that's been very evident on twitter where people are just like like twitter becomes a, a sort of synonym for every horrible comment and you know story that you see online it can do. <laughs> it can do. I think what's really interesting to watch is the rise of its rivals now that people are, you yes. know, whether this is whether this is a moment in time, I think it's a bit early to call, but um we've seen we've seen a lot of traffic going to other rivals. The the, the one that's leading the charge at the moment, if you like, is this Mastodon one. Um and I think that they are about to walk into the horror show of moderation because Mastodon is a, a collection of different servers that form a network. It's not one thing. So the good thing about that is it's not owned by a billionaire with big ideas. It can't be bought or sold. If one bit of it goes down, it doesn't take the whole thing down with it. You know, you know all of this. The downside is, of course, that A, you are slightly at the whim of whoever owns your server. Um, it is You can jump between them, but people are telling me that it's a bit of a pain to do. Um, and secondly, all of these different services you know you have a server i have a server we can decide our own moderation rules yeah. i might have really strict ones you might have none right how is that oh, well, you're quite right i would in fact i would be the opposite of you i would only have rude and offensive people on my server <laughs> okay i would only have cats and dogs you know well, no <laughs> right too. But, but but you know the point is like, at some point this is going to implode isn't it i, feel uh, like, I suspect you know, it isn't. i can see this sort of this horrible thing coming down the track where when people start en masse being horribly abusive and offensive and i've already seen some dreadful stuff on it you know um 
and and I don't know how I, I I'm like is, is, is anybody hello is anybody looking at this so I suspect it's not going to become an issue because I suspect not many people are going to make the move oh, I think, think I think it's a bit of a showing oh I don't like Elon Musk moment and people are gonna I saw Mike Elgin describe Mastodon as the Linux of social media or some equivalent phrase and I think that rather sums it up well everyone wants to feel smug that they can use it but it's not going to break into the mainstream because frankly Twitter is just so easy and usable and that's why it has worked it's interesting I've had I mean I am on it and I wrote this article about it because I was trying to get my head around it right um it it is it is too it's too clunky at the moment you can't it's it's not immediate enough to be a useful tool but it's an interesting tool and you've got high profile people like Stephen Fry now joining it you know it's get it's getting that it's getting that level of engagement from people who uh, who command um, who command attention and and who and who lots of people would like to follow. Um, I I don't know whether people are, I, well I think it, I think there's a lot of hedging of bets going on, isn't there? Um, and I, but I think the numbers have been you know comparatively small, but still massive in terms of the amount of people. Where it was, like, yeah. I, you know, you didn't see people leave Facebook in droves like this when the Cambridge Analytica scandal broke. People threatened to, but they didn't. And, and, and yeah, I think the is bigger than than I than I thought it would be. That's interesting. I I will be intrigued to see where we are in three six months time. Um, Zoe, I could have kept talking to you There's so much we could have dug into, but you know, I'll let you get on with being the BBC's tech editor. <laughs> um, it it's a huge role. I I'm really pleased to have had you come on and talk about it. And obviously, it's particularly timely to have had you on because it's been the BBC centenary, which in and of itself, is a rather important moment in time for a media institution to have got to 100 years. Yeah, it, and, and I think, you know, with I mean, obviously, I, I am uh, I'm very biased because <laughs> I think the, the BBC is is has surprisingly, some might say, led the way in, in broadcast tech in ways that, you know, people don't realise. Um, we... Um, we we are not renowned for being a very fast moving organisation. People that keep saying to me, you know, are we, when are you, when is the BBC News breaking news thing going to be on Mastodon? I'm like, it's not just going to hop on there tomorrow. You know, that is a big decision for the corporation to make. I can't make it, and 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 I think it's right actually that that it doesn't just jump on every bandwagon yeah. that's going. Um, but you know, there's a lot of broadcast tech that has actually been developed or started life here at the BBC, I, it, you know, I remember when the iPlayer came out thinking, oh, yes. it's going to do that, you know, <laughs> it was yeah. called Imp and there was a trial of it and it was really hard because nobody had very good broadband. So it was, you know, it was hard to stream anything, but you know, whoever, that that was something that, that we were on, that we, I shouldn't say we, I'm taking the credit here, that the BBC <laughs> went to, you know, early on and, and, and has made a huge success of. Well, I, I've always said that the license fee is one of the best value things, I, subscriptions I pay for. Um, so I'm so grateful, Zoe, for you coming on the show today. Obviously, people can catch you all over the BBC, but where else can they find you and your work? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at ZSK for now. <laughs> you can also yeah. find me on Mastodon. Now you're going to make me remember my address. I, I'm <laughs> not because I have absolutely no idea how to find anyone on Mastodon. <laughs> oh, goodness of that. Well, I am uh, on it if you can find me. <laughs> uh, and I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. Um, obviously, you can subscribe to the newsletter at theedition.substack.com if you're listening to the podcast there. 
Thank you. But you can also listen to it in whatever podcast app you prefer. There's also the new and slowly growing blog at theedition.net. So thank you all for your support and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.